0: on the Apple Podcast app. Thank you. Morning, Tom. How are you? On Christmas week, my goodness, it's almost time.
1: Yeah. Yes, it's wonderful. It's Isn't wonderful. It I know.
0: Time to be a child again, Ronnie. Oh, well, I think it takes makes children yeah. of us all, really. Uh it's oh, oh yeah, it's unavoidable. Yeah. Really, it is a lo- yeah. lovely time of year. It's also a mid-winter festival. I mean, today we're recording now on the solstice. You know, the shortest day of the year, and all of that. Yeah. So it is a lovely time to light candles, to kind of light fires, I suppose. You know, yeah. against the black winter that's outside. So it's. it's yeah, a but I, from I, yeah.
1: I think this winter has been enormously livened up in Galway with the uh, placing of Christmas lights in, in various strategic places. Wouldn't mostly mostly I have to say yeah. in Spanish parade and on the Claddagh basin and also in Salt Hill. And I, it's a credit mm. to the corporation and the tourism officer who has done all of this. Uh, I think the, Claddock Basin in particular is magical
0: at the moment. Absolutely, yeah. Tom, I walked in the Grattan Road the other evening just to see it again. And it's the reflection on the still water that, you know, doubles the vision of the boats lit up. And they're lit yeah. up most beautifully. Tiny little starlights.
1: They, they are, yeah. It's very tastefully done. And, yeah. yeah. It's just lovely. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, and uh, yesterday evening as I was passing, I, there, there must have been. 15 or 20 people photographing it on their phones and I'm not a bit surprised yeah uh, because it's uh you know the the Galway hooker is a quintessential iconic Galway image that represents this city and nowhere else
0: yes it and is. and to
1: see them lit up like that they're like very. Mm-hmm. <laughs> boats uh, i suppose is the best way to describe them and yeah. uh, they're not they're wonderful
0: they're wonderful i love them i absolutely yeah. love them good man tom yes and the whole yeah Galway's a lovely place at christmas time as many irish towns are in fact yeah, yeah. it's still it's still the t- town of my childhood when i see it at christmas time anyway yeah, well, re- that's, reality was
1: yeah that's what I'm writing about. Well, I'm not writing at all, actually. This week, I okay. what I have done is I have lifted uh, an article that was first published in the Galway Advertiser in 1979, and it was the recollections of Martin Geary from Father Riven Road about growing up in the Claddagh long ago. Right, and it's wonderfully simple and innocent and evocative. And he says, all of the people in the street, they'd start cleaning up, whitewashing, painting a month before. The smell of whitewash was wonderful. <laughs> a few days before, they'd start putting up holly. Uh, a woman used to make red roses from paper, and she put some wires at the bottom and put out them on the holly. Then the chains with lanterns and paper muffles, as they were called, on which there would be written things like, what is a home without a mother, or... Merry Christmas, these kinds of things. And the houses were always lovely, impeccable inside. Uh, A week before, maybe the women would go shopping. And if you were dealing in a particular shop, you were probably going to get a Christmas box of tea and sugar and Christmas cake and maybe a glass of whiskey or a candle. Uh, And we would make the plum duff, as he called it, the plum pudding curtains, raisins, a glass of whiskey. We'd put the pot on the fire to boil and then wrap a flour bag around it to keep the water from getting at it. The Christmas candle would be lit on Christmas Eve, always, by the youngest child in the house. No yeah, one else could custom. go yeah. near it until the youngest child would do it. <laughs> and lovely, of course, yeah. we were always excited. We were, what was Santa going to bring? Uh, he he made the claim in 1979 that now they're only two years old and they don't believe in Santa at all. (laughs) But anyway, Christmas Eve would come at last for the party. And the doors of the houses would be open. Uh, The neighbors would come in, uh, sing a song, have a good time. It was often three o'clock in the morning when they left. And uh, uh, we had um, a gramophone. We got it for five shillings a month six records free it was called a cylinder the records were like stout glass these are extremely rare things today we were the first to bring it to Galway and in my time I don't think Mm. there was any Christmas trees at all in those days and the countrymen would bring in bog deal put it on the fire and it would blaze up like petrol, like, like almost like Christmas lights. right? And when the pubs closed, the men would bring home crocks of porter on their shoulders. Uh, many of them were broke as a result of it, and uh, at that time he said the pint was only two pence, a bottle of whiskey was two shillings, and a bottle of pachin was two shillings. Now, if the people that had died came back to see what it cost now, I think they'd go back to their graves to rest. He said... <laughs>
0: that's very good that's oh, so very... we
1: spent there we we did yeah. mummers on Christmas Eve and uh, oh, right. we'd, we'd go up to with the few pennies we got we'd go up to Hill's shop on Dominic Street get a box of fireworks for a penny set a match to the fuse and they'd make big bangs and different colors <laughs> and then of course Christmas Day was the day of rest only the mother had to keep going We would visit the houses. We would be given glasses of raspberry and Christmas cake. And on Stephen's morning, then it was the Wren. The cage would be all dressed up with chain paper and ivy. And when we'd have a few pence collected, we would go up to Baggy Dwyer, which is where Griffin's cake shop was then in 1979. We would have a pot of tea and cakes. (laughs) And he had a slot machine thing that was... a Glass on top, wider than a pint measure. You could put in a halfpenny, hit the knob. The dice would jump up, and if you turned up seven, you would get a lemonade and a bun. No. These were the good times, he said.
0: Yeah.
1: And I thought that's just such a lovely evocative.
0: It really is beautiful, absolutely superb. Yes, I know. That's just lovely, Tom, because uh, lots of memories in that. Right. Christmas was much simpler, of course, even when I was young and probably when you were young as well. It's become a very elaborate affair now, beginning as it does in November and uh, stuff (laughs) going on. But um, yes. But still,
1: Santa Claus is central to the whole thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> really. Santa, and, yeah. and the cho- children, it's about children. Yeah, it really.
0: is. But I That's love the tradition of lighting the candle, the youngest in the family lighting the candle. We do that in our yeah. house. And it's yeah. very, very lovely. I remember going for a walk with my mum in West Cork, up behind Skibbereen and looking out across the valley. And, you know, it was just all little candles burning in the front windows of the houses and it was the most wonderful magical sight you know i'll never forget yes i had
1: exactly the same experience uh we had a girl working for us from wikini and my father drove her her home rather one christmas eve and he brought me i was about six or seven and uh, i think it was really to give Santa Claus a clear run that he brought me to, <laughs> on, to be honest. But anyway, at one point we came over a hill and just as you described, it looked like hundreds and hundreds of candlelit mm-hmm. windows. Mm-hmm. And he explained that to me, that wonderful tradition mm. of coming home and of You know, imagine what it was like to be an immigrant working in Birmingham or somewhere and coming over that hill and seeing all of those. It
0: was uh, just so
1: magical and welcoming and warm. And again, about family.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the coming home uh, is very good. It's very important too. Oh, yeah. This year, that won't be quite as easy with, you know, there's a lot of... Ifs and lots of lockdowns being threatened, and you know, it's difficult, people mightn't get back to where they came from. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's a little bit of a question mark over it all, but yeah. you know, I'm sure the government is reluctant to put a halt on Christmas when it happens. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is I'm ridiculous. also
1: sure that uh Santa Claus is going to know who has <laughs> traveled and who hasn't.
0: Well, yes, I remember
1: yes. about <laughs> 20 years ago, yeah. <clears throat> my niece Ella. Ella came with her parents from Jersey, the Channel Islands. Uh, she was about seven and they stayed with us for Christmas. And on Christmas morning, we went into the Augustinian church to listen to Sonny and Pat and their choir. And on the steps outside, I said to Ella, just in case Santa Claus has forgotten her, maybe he had a tough night uh, would you help me? We might go down and we might feed the swans in the cladder. Right. So of course. So she hopped into the car with me anyway. And <laughs> down we drive to yeah. the cladder. And as I get there, there is a man in a Santa Claus suit feeding the swans. I couldn't see this man. I don't still to this day don't know who he was, but I'll never forget him. So I rolled the car up quite close to him and rolled the window down and I began to talk to Ella. (coughs) Actually, I was talking to him and he was standing there just throwing crumbs gently (laughs) and listening all the time. And then he turned around and he said, oh, oh, my God, is that Ella?
0: Oh, no. Oh,
1: from Jersey. Oh, I oh, hope I didn't goodness. go down your chimney in Jersey. Oh, no, no, Santa Claus. No, no, you didn't know, no. No, thank you. No. Do you know what? He said, I had a terrible night. <laughs> the wind was against me all night. One of the reindeers was lame. Yeah. And do you know what some of those nasty little elves were doing? They were putting girls presents into boys' parcels. Oh and my boys' God. parcels into... I wait till I no, get no. home to them.
0: <laughs> anyway,
1: I am just exhausted. I said, all I want to do yeah. is to go home to Mrs. Claus and have a nice cup of tea. <laughs> so would you, Ella, would you please help me feed <laughs> the swans? <laughs> and out she got, and the two of them fed the swans. Now, Ella is about six foot tall today. She lives in Vancouver, but don't ever try and tell her there's no such thing as Santa Claus. Because she met him in the cladder and never and I will never forget that man. I I still don't know who he was, but he brought magic. Yeah, magic to that. I know, no, no,
0: that's great. That's absolutely lovely. Some adults are great like that. Well, we had a neighbour. Uh, we have a neighbours indeed. And the small boy was about five or six. And whatever got on him, anyway, he took up the phone and he dialed a six succession of numbers. Yeah. And uh, uh, a voice at the other end said, "Yes, yes." And the little neighbour, my little son, asked, um, uh, "Is that Father Christmas?" There was a pause and this wonderful man said, speaking. And the conversation went on like that. Yeah, yeah, and lovely. the phone was put down and the boy said, yeah, I just spoke to Father Christmas, you know. So I thought it was quite natural <laughs> that he was there and he answered the phone and, uh, you know, and it's just wonderful that some adults, you know, like your friend feeding the swans, pick up yeah. the thread, you know, and carry on the magic. And that's it. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. The, another part of Christmas that's hard to define, but there is magic there, Tom. There's no question.
1: Oh, without question. Yeah, yeah. And I think we all remember, yeah. You know, the excitement of opening the door and seeing the
0: tree lit mm. up and all of
1: those wrapped things. Yeah. What are they? What are they? What's for me? What's yeah, for me? Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. Just lovely. Long may it continue.
1: Well, amen. amen. Yeah.
0: Well, Tom, I'm I'm writing about a little miracle that that saved the Galway Arts Festival in 1985. And you probably forget about it, but I think I'd be able to remind you all right because well. I was enjoying reading Fintan O'Toole's book, We Don't Know Ourselves. Great, big book. I don't know how Fintan gets time to write all the articles he does and then to write these enormous books, but he does. But anyway, uh, he reminds us all that in 1958, Archbishop John McQuaid of Dublin, he was obsessive in his monitoring of Irish life to the extent that he didn't really have to ban a film or a book or a play outright. It was sufficient for his secretary to make it known that the archbishop had wondered if the name of the film or the book or the movie was the sort of thing a good Catholic should witness. Now, his disapproval, Tom, and I really laughed at this, even stretched into the lyrics of a song. Radio Air, as it was then, it played used to play this program called hospital's request you might remember yes
1: i do yeah
0: cole Porter song always true to you now i'm afraid i can't sing it because i i don't remember how the tune went but the words were but i'm always true to you darling in my fashion yes i'm always true to you darling in my way so Finton tells us that uh, it is sad, but sometimes hilarious book, really, that the presenter of the programme was a man called Tom Cox, and he was summoned to the office of the controller of programmes, who was Ribard O'Firachon. He yeah, was a yes, poor right. and playwright, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cox heard the most dreaded words in Ireland at the time, the palace has been on. And the yeah. palace, of course, referred to the Archbishop's mansion in Drumcondra. And <laughs> it evoked a kind of a palatial home of a feudal aristocrat or even a monarch. Yeah. Uh, Khan told Cox, his grace is concerned at the somewhat circumscribed morality of the song. Indeed, he believes that it advocates the proposition that a limited form of fidelity is somehow acceptable. So the next time Cox was asked to play, always true to you, he used to play the instrumental version by Victor <laughs> Sylvester and his ballroom orchestra. Yeah. I was remembering uh, a different scenario much, much later, 27 years later, actually, in Galway. I'll go back to the Archbishop McQuaid again because I'm not finished with him just yet. and Indeed, I, I, either is Fenton. But uh, I don't know if you remember... Uh, the jousting that there was between the youthful founders of the Arts Festival and the much respected and former mayor of Galway, Councillor Bridio O'Flaherty, very At the well, time, yeah, the time the Galway Arts Festival was growing both in prestige and creativity, and its directors were encouraged to go to a festival in Avignon and see the highly innovative theatrical group ills Comedians. Now, you might remember them. I do it's, very well. It's no exaggeration to say that when Ali Jennings and Parik Branagh saw its performance in the south of France, they were totally blown away, but not before they invited them to come to Galway in the following August. Now, if you remember that play, Devils, that they yes, present through the streets of Galway with enormous energy. <coughs> Actors ran through the narrow streets of Galway, accompanied by loud, rapid drum beats with fireworks, sometimes fireworks, taking off from their bodies, exploding in all directions. It appeared that the entire population of the town was running screaming, either chasing the devils or being chased by the devils. I never knew what was going on because I ran with the crowd myself. But me, it's, man, yeah, me. I know. Yeah, it was just one of these amazing, amazing uh, things to experience. It really was. They were just wonderful, and I think it climaxed down in the Spanish Arch. The devils climbed up the walls. They went out in a boat, actually. They crossed the clatter Basin. Uh, yeah. Fireworks and explosions and all kinds of madness going on. It really was wonderful. Anyway, else comedian said to Ali and Porik, "Yes, we will come to Gory, but." I tell you what, one or two conditions. We all want rooms, separate rooms with showers. OK, that's no problem. And we want to perform our play Ale, Ale, A-L-E accentated. And uh, we want to put it on for five performances. And uh, it requires a large audience because we move a lot through the audience. And uh, there is a little bit of nudity in it, but nothing serious. And uh, so not to worry about it. So Ali and Porik were delighted. They reserved the Burling Mount Hotel that actually had a shower in each room and booked Leisureland with its immense seating capacity for five nights for the presentation of all. Anyway, the play I remember was about the creation of the world. You know, that was ambitious. Okay. ambitious yeah. And it started with the brief Adam and Eve sequence. It was presented the week before Devils, So no one knew anything about Else Comedians, and three days before Orla was to open, there were only 200 seats sold for the entire five-night run. Then, as Ollie describes it, a miracle happened. A journalist with the Irish Independent, Frank Kahn, while discussing the festival programme with Pat Reid, who was the publicity officer for Galway, heard there was some nudity in Orla, Can phoned Councillor O'Flaherty, who was also on the board of Leisureland, which, you you know, is a very popular family leisure centre, and asked whether she was aware there was going to be naked people in Leisureland. And Bridie threw the proverbial fuse and said, words the effect, over my dead body. So Galway woke up the next day and were amazed to read in the Irish Independent that naked Spanish people were coming to Leisureland. The city was both startled and delighted. It was rumoured that the Leisureland event now was going to be cancelled. The arts festival said it faced ruin if the play was cancelled, because not only would they, you know, be broke because the seats weren't sold, but they, you know, had already booked up uh, Els comedians to perform Devils. But Bridie spoke out and got great publicity, talked about the immorality of it all, that Leisureland was a safe place for families. Families should not have to endure the sight of naked Spaniards. So there was a showdown meeting between Councillor O'Flaherty, the acting city manager at the time was Peter Kearns, a very nice man, and Ollie Jennings. In the meantime, of course, Tom Their tickets were selling fast and furious. And the day before the play opened, all five nights were completely sold out.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: (laughs) Ollie, 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 I reminded Ollie of all this. And he told me, yes, he said, yes, yes. And we both had a bit of a laugh. He said, yes, I was late getting to the meeting. But he said, honestly, when I arrived at the meeting in City Hall, Peter Kearns was there puffing on his pipe and Bridie looked on the young looked upon young Jennings really as a student who meant well. And she, of course, understood that the nudity was only fleeting and that every seat in the house had been sold. And I'm sure Bridie thought that on mature reflection, it would be a foolish thing for a politician to close a play which already was a sellout.
1: Well, actually, she knew exactly what she was doing. Yeah, exactly. Isn't it great? Starting, which well, she didn't realize the miracle would be quite so effective. But, no, no, but I, she, I don't. it,
0: it he, is brilliant. Yeah. No, it was wonderful. It really wonderful. was. And, and the play itself was brilliant indeed. And as for the nudity, yeah. it was a very brief affair. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was righteously funny. But it was. One, yeah, yeah. One photographer, the legendary Stan Shields told Ollie, where's the nudity? Where's the nudity? Because he had to take his photographs quickly to put the pictures on the Dublin train that evening yeah. so they'd be in the papers the next day. And poor man, he missed it. It was so sudden and quick. So that it. Yeah, yeah. Actually,
1: but, on the, the night of the on. devils, right? Sorry.
0: No, go uh, on, board.
1: I brought my two daughters and five of their friends. They were young teenage girls. And we parked at the church at the Claddagh uh making our way to the spanish arch and i said i have no idea what time this is going to finish but if it finishes at 11 o'clock i will meet you here at eleven thirty. or if it finishes at eleven thirty, 30 so on yeah, yeah anyway it poured on the night it yeah. didn't rain it absolutely poured and el comedian wanted to cancel but such a huge crowd turned up that they couldn't really. And as you described, we danced around the street chasing and running after <laughs> the four devils and all these fireworks and this yeah. constant drumming and so on. And eventually, I have no idea, it must have been about one o'clock in the morning, we got into the car, myself and the seven young teenage girls, and they were everybody was saturated, <laughs> soaked to the skin. Yeah, And... <clears throat> Uh, my daughter said in the back seat, our English teacher is always giving out to us. She's always saying, You keep using words like incredible and fantastic (laughs) and unbelievable. And you shouldn't be using those words. And one of these days you're going to have an experience (laughs) and you will have no words to describe it. And I can still see the little heads in the mirror, yeah. in my mirror, yeah. all nodding. Yes, yeah. yes, that's exactly what we had tonight, yeah. and it was magic, magic. It was, and different. as you say, yeah. that the arts festival was set up. Forever. yeah
0: but yeah. and you see that the danger of the fireworks with all that rain was quite interesting It, you know it must have added some danger to the fireworks because they were setting them off well one or, one person certainly had fireworks on a, on his back so he'd kind of yeah. bend forward and shoot. that's right it was quite yeah. an extraordinary performance It really it was an, an it experience went on for hours. it went on for yeah. hours it, yeah. for hours. it, it was indeed, brilliant yeah 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 but anyway that was 1985. Back to 1958, the year actually Fintan O'Toole was born, and that's why he was writing about this, there was a Dublin theatre festival was planned, and it was designed specifically, Tom, to highlight three of Ireland's greatest writers, James Joyce, Samuel Beckett, and Sean O'Casey. But all of these three failed to avoid either archbishop's censoring eye or the festival backers (laughs) became afraid uh, because uh, the bishop's secretary made some comment and they began to drop out bits and pieces. Poor Hilton Edwards was to direct uh, an adaptation of Joyce's Ulysses and that was unceremoniously just dropped. The festival board felt that adverse uh, publicity which had followed the expression of disapproval by McQuaid, made production inadvisable. Sean O'Casey had a new play, The Drums of Father Ned, had also been dropped because he refused to make alterations, which were suggested by the Archbishop, and it had a similar response. He dropped the play, he said he wasn't going to do it. And then in a protest against the Archbishop's interventions against O'Casey and Joyce, Samuel Beckett, as you would imagine, withdrew his three mime plays and a reading of his radio play uh, all that fall, I think it was, uh, on, on Radio Aaron. So within a few days, the entire festival had been postponed, in effect, abandoned. McQuaid never made a public statement, Tom, yet he effectively forced the abandonment of what was supposed to be an international showcase for Irish theatre. Now, you won't be surprised to hear that giving one of his impromptu rhetorical performances in McQuaid, MacDade's pub in Dublin around this time, Brendan Behan informed his listeners that Ireland is a village in Trieste with James Joyce and Devon and Sean O'Casey, Paris with Sam Beckett and all tied together. So an elderly degenerate proselytizing umbilical lasso known as the Archbishop of Dublin. (laughs) Ireland is a figment of the Anglo-Saxon imagination. Her, her vices are extolled as virtues and her glorious memory perpetuated by Boss Croker and Tammany Hall. Ireland is a lie, a state, a place that is non-existent. <laughs> Poor old yeah. being. He bitterly yeah. reflected the frustration. Oh, so, of course. Not nice. only of the, but I mean, utterly out <coughs> Excuse me. But th- it was also a sad time. Um on that year alone, an astonishing 1.8%, Tom, of the entire population emigrated from the country. 1.8%. Yes. Yes. So even though we laugh at McQuaid today, you know, people must have felt oppressed. People felt there was no future. You know, they were being eyed yeah, yeah. on, they were being commented on, they were being criticized. They were being belittled.
1: And driven by, out.
0: Yeah, people in authority. And I suppose you couldn't blame young people saying, I'm not staying here, you know. Yeah. I'm going to try my yeah. luck somewhere else. There's no point in staying.
1: I suppose it's still the same today, Ronnie. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's huge... The, the diaspora is extraordinary. And, it is. Uh, yeah, but happily... Yeah, Uh, a number of them are listening to us. It's a
0: different kind of diaspora. I think we want our children to go away for a year or two. We really do. You know, we want them to experience the world. You know, of course, we want them to come back. But um, yes, the 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 Irish diaspora is is extraordinary. But it's it's freer now. It's not oppressed. It didn't. Oh no! Yeah, I agree. Because of oppression, I would think it left for a, a sense of adventure. I think, which is a whole different way, you know.
1: Yes, that's true. Yeah.
0: You know, and it's wonderful yeah. that when we come back at Christmas time. I'm I always get a little bit tearful when I see photographs in Dublin Airport or Shannon Airport of yeah. people coming uh, yeah, yeah, welcome.
1: Yeah, yeah. But yeah. look t- well, it's happily some of the diaspora are actually listening to you and I as we speak this yes. morning. So I think uh, <clears throat> You know, in wishing everybody a happy Christmas from this podcast, I think we would apply that especially to those regions who are living abroad. Uh, Just to say we're thinking of you this Christmas. If I can mention two of them, I'd like to, please, because they they listen all the time to you and I, believe it or not. Maura Hulhan from Salt Hill is in Beaconsfield in the UK and listens every Wednesday night to us. And David Gavin is in Des Moines in Iowa, wow. Des Moines in Iowa, and he listens to us every week. So yes, can sir. I just say on all our behalf, happy Christmas to you all. And we are thinking of you in Galway this Christmas.
0: Tom, I, I, I couldn't agree more. That's a lovely thing to say. I certainly wish people a happy Christmas. I, my own family are away, and I think they listen to this as well. Mm. And uh, But they're happy and uh, they will light a candle in the window because my youngest daughter's away. So she'll light her candle first and then the rest of the family will follow. Yeah. So that will be our Christmas. That will be my Christmas, really, the lighting of that candle. Yes. So, Tom, we're going to take a week off. And our next podcast will be Wednesday, January the 5th, just before yeah. Little Christmas on the 6th. Yeah. So, Tom, I concur with you. Wish everybody a very happy Christmas and a happy new year. See you yes. soon, Tom.
1: Lacuna J. God bless. Take care.